Friends, we're going to have our Bible readings now. Uh, if you'd like to grab uh, one of the Bibles on your chairs and open it to Ezekiel chapter 37, it's page 799. Ezekiel 37. I'm just going to pray for us as we come to God's Word. Uh, Father, we thank you so much that you uh, want to be known by us. So we thank you that you've made yourself known in your Word and by your Spirit. Please be at work among us this evening as we come to that word. We pray, please, you'd fill us with hope. Amen. Okay, we have Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them. Flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man. Say to it, This is what the Lord God says. Breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know it that I am Yahweh, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Uh, you've probably heard of uh, Abdullah, Abdullah Kurdi this week. Um, God, can we get the pictures up there? There's some pictures. That's right. There you go. Oh, the next one. That's okay. You might have heard of this story this week of this um, Syrian family who uh, tried to get across to Greece but actually uh, ended up, all of them, drowning except for the father, Abdullah Kurdi. Um, whatever you make of the actual details, the terrible thing is this guy had to watch his whole family drown in front of him. Um, 
helplessly just trying to keep himself afloat as he watched them sink under the water. Uh, The thing that really grabs me about this story is how hopeless this guy is. He had this great hope of starting a new life with his family in Europe. But then he writes this, I was dreaming for my family, and they've gone. So the dream has gone as well. I've buried my soul, my feelings, and mind in the grave. Friends, here's the thing. I I think many of us are actually a little bit the same. We actually live as if we're hopeless so much of the time. You know, we, we kind of, we, we lose something or life's not quite working out the way we want it to and, and we kind of have very little hope to lean back on. We, we very quickly find ourselves thinking, oh, I'm hopeless. You know, I've got nothing. It's all gone wrong. We've all got some simple hopes. We've got simple hopes like comfort, like a good job, like a holiday. I'm thinking about that at the moment. But then I think when things like what we've seen this week happen, we realize we've also got deeper hopes, don't we? We've got deeper hopes. Things like, you know, we want a world where things have been set right and where justice is done, where, where this sort of thing just doesn't happen. We have hopes for, for a world where there's rulers who actually are good and actually have the power to set things right. Don't, don't we? Do, is that just me? Do, do we have these hopes, these deeper hopes for our world? Well, the good news I want to I talk about this evening is the fact that in Jesus, that hope has arrived. This evening, I do hope that our collective background level of hope just kind of increases a little bit. We can just dial it up a little bit so that when life gets difficult, when the troubles come, uh, we won't be rattled. That's my hope this evening. I think I'm going to try to use a different microphone. Is it really? It's quite annoying, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's really annoying. Yeah, I can hear that. Thank you very much, mate. Okay, right. That's much clearer. Okay, to, b- before we get into our second Bible reading, Acts chapter 26, which is our last week, second last week, sorry, in Acts, I just want to set some context again uh, for where we're up to uh, in Acts. So Paul has arrived again, as you'll remember, in Jerusalem, and uh, he was not warmly received. Uh, the Jews there accused him of being a non-Jewish troublemaker, and they cursed themselves till they killed him, effectively. Um, But the commander, the Roman commander, Lysias, found out about it and took Paul from Jerusalem down to Caesarea, uh, where the Roman governors were. And then before two successive Roman governors, Felix and then Porcius Festus, yes, that is his name, very unfortunate, Porcius Festus. Anyway, um, the Jews came and um, made the accusations against Paul before these two guys, Felix then Festus. Uh, It went nowhere. The accusations were full of holes. And so Paul didn't get, um, didn't get tried. He wasn't found guilty. Um, but during that second trial before uh, Porcius Festus, Paul appealed to Caesar. He said, I, I want to be tried before Caesar in his, in his court in Rome. And so while, uh, a, 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 sorry, Festus agreed to do that. But while he was holding on to Paul, uh, waiting for a ship to send him off to Rome, who should come along uh, but Agrippa? King Agrippa, the king of the Jews, 
came for a visit to, to see the new governor, Porcius Festus, with his sister Bernice, who was the Kim Kardashian of the day. And there they were, come to visit Porcius Festus. Festus tells Agrippa, king of the Jews, a little bit about Paul's situation. And Festus says, I'd like to hear from Paul myself, which suits Festus very well because he doesn't have anything to write to Caesar about what Paul's done wrong. He doesn't understand. What's this guy done wrong? And he's hoping maybe the king of the Jews might understand this Jewish situation and know what to write to Caesar. And that's the background for chapter 26. And Bell is going to come and read chapter 26 for us now. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, I think it's page 1031, Acts chapter 26. Thanks, Bell. Agrippa said to Paul, it is permitted for you to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that today I am going to make a defense before you about everything I am accused of by the Jews, especially since you are an expert in all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem. They had previously known me for quite some time if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why is it considered incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself supposed it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus the Nazarene. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In all the synagogues, I often tried to make them blaspheme by punishing them. I even pursued them to foreign cities since I was greatly enraged at them. I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests. King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and of what I will reveal to you. I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles. I now send you to them to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified. Therefore, King Agrippa, 
I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first and to those in Jerusalem and in all the, all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple complex and were trying to kill me. To this very day, I have obtained help that comes from God, and I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing else than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. As he was making his defense this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, you're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment, for the king knows about these matters. It is to him I am actually speaking boldly, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you, but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. So the king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with them got up, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, this man is doing nothing that deserves death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. This is oh. Yes, thanks be to God. Sorry. Thank you very much, Belle. Um, what do you think Agrippa, uh, sorry, Festus wrote? What did he write to Caesar? You know, to explain why he was sending this guy, especially after, you know, these last verses here, he hasn't done anything wrong. Dearest Caesar, I'm sending you Paul to put on trial. He hasn't done anything wrong. I'm not even sure why I'm sending to you. Dearest Porcius. What? what would Paul have written? If Paul was writing why he's on trial, what would he have written? He's much clearer, isn't he? Chapter 26 and verse 6. He writes and he says, And now I stand on trial. Why? For the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. All that time ago, God made a promise to our fathers. My hope is in, in that promise. That's why I'm on trial. And verse 7, the promise our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. First point this evening, the hope of the Jews already begun for everyone. You see, deep within Judaism was a great hope. You pretty well turn to most of the pages of the prophets and you find this real sense of looking forward. This kind of yearning for what is to come. A hope. And that's what their religious life looked like as well. They were serving God night and day in this hope. You dropped into, a, into any, any of the synagogues around Palestine and you'd pick up this sense. There was this, this sense of yearning, looking ahead. A hope. They were yearning for righteousness. For the world to be put right. They were yearning for a king to come, a king who would rule with great power, 
but also love and bring justice. They were, they were yearning for land, for their land, Palestine, for Canaan, this land flowing with milk and honey and peace and joy and prosperity. They were yearning for forgiveness and cleansing, the end of sin. Nothing between them and God, just love. This was their yearning, their hope. And they summarized all of those hopes with this one concept, resurrection. There's all these ideas, but they caught up with this idea of resurrection. So we read in Ezekiel 37 about this idea of resurrection, didn't we? But could you flip back there with me, page 799, back in Ezekiel? Because this great hope of resurrection gets sort of unpacked in all these different little elements of hope. So chapter 37 and verse 23, for example. They, this is speaking of God's people in the future, they will not defile themselves anymore with their idols, their detestable things and all their transgressions. I will save them from all their apostasies by which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them. Then they will be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David will be king over them, and there will be one shepherd for all of them. They will follow my ordinances and keep my statutes and obey them. They will live in a land that I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers lived. They will live in it forever with their children and grandchildren, and my servant David will be their prince forever. Do you see there's all those different elements of the hope in there? King, forgiveness, land, it's all, it's all like a package deal. And Paul is saying, that's why I'm being judged for this, for this hope. Is that a bit strange to you? He's being judged for having the same hope that the prophets talk about. That, that's weird, isn't it? The reason he's actually being judged is because he brings two little differences to the table about this hope. And the first is this. His hope is that the hope has arrived. The way he looks at it is the resurrection has already begun. Jews believed that resurrection would be just for the end time. So remember that the passage that was read from, from Ezekiel, it's going to be the resurrection of all of Israel at once. Paul says, no, I, don't, I think it's different to that. Actually, the resurrection's begun already. So look at the way he speaks of Jesus back in, that, back in Acts chapter 26 and verse 23. This is how he speaks of Jesus. The Messiah must suffer and that as the first to rise from the dead, dot, dot, dot. The resurrection is not just a big general thing as the Jews thought, but, but one man has been resurrected as the first and all the rest will follow. Jesus is kind of like the preview to the film. Uh, it's, a great, it's, it's a great preview. The film is coming later at a cinema near you. It's all coming. But it's begun. The resurrection has already begun, which means all the hopes of Israel, the package deal, has already begun. That's not how the Jews looked at it. But there's a second difference of the way Paul looked at this hope, and that's this. Look at verse 23 with me again. We'll see it there. Actually, I'll start at verse 22 so we read it properly. Verse 22, To this very day, Paul says, I have obtained help that comes from God, and I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing else than what the prophets and Moses said would take place. I'm thoroughly within Judaism here. That the Messiah must suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. 
His hope is for everyone. The Jewish hope was that once the resurrection came, the light of hope would then shine out for the whole world. And Paul's saying, yep, it started. It's already here. It's going to the world already. I want to tie this idea down just with three practical thoughts for us. The first is this. This hope is for you. It's for all people. Please don't sit here this evening as we talk about this hope for the rest of the night and say, this is all good and well. That's for them. It's not for me. No, no, it's for you. It's for the whole world. The second thing is this. This hope is for real. Some of the people here, many of the people here, have put their hope in Jesus. They have pinned their hopes on him. They are not looking to the things of this world for their security or happiness. They're trusting in Jesus alone. It's a great thing. If that's you, then then hear this. Your hope is for real. It's not some thing that a guy dreamt up because it's really nice and makes us feel good about ourselves. It's not a pillow for your troubled soul. It's not a thumb to suck. This, This is reality. This is history. This is the great hope that the Jewish people have been looking forward to since the beginning of their history. Right throughout the millennia, it's been pointing in one direction, and it's Jesus, and it's come in history truly. It's real. Your hope is for real, brothers and sisters. And the third great thing is this. Your hope has already begun. Jesus has been raised, and so the hope is already flowing. It's already begun. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, really? Doesn't doesn't seem like it. Not from where I'm sitting, not in my life. If it has come, it's not a very good hope. I hear that. (laughs) I wonder, have you ever ever, um, been to a new place, a new city, a new part of the world, and you've arrived at night, and you sort of look around, and, and everything's just kind of silhouettes and darkness, Do you know what I mean? You you kind of see the grand view of the mountain, but you can barely make it out because it's too dark. You you, you see the chapel, but it's just a silhouette. It's enough to get excited, but you can't really make it out. Do you know what I'm talking about? This sort of thing. And then the next day, you wake up. You draw back the curtains. Oh, my goodness. There it is. What was just a shadow the night before is suddenly seen in full color and all its glory. Friends, I think that's our hope. Our hope is just like that, that we see the things, the hope we have in Jesus as if it's a bit dark and just in silhouettes. But one day, we will draw back the curtains and see it in all its glory. We, we sang about that, that day a little earlier. It goes like this, oh, glorious day. Oh, glorious day. What I want to do now is just is talk quite briefly about three areas of this hope. Uh, the hope for the Jews, that's become our hope. That we have it already, but it's also coming. So the first point is this, the hope of forgiveness. The hope of forgiveness. Right throughout the prophets, the whole story of Israel, God wanted relationship with his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. But they wouldn't give their hearts to God. It almost seemed as if they couldn't give their hearts to God. Their their hearts kept going off to other things, following other things. 
and because of that, because of this sin, they missed out on God. <laughs> they missed out on relationship with God. The great hope of the prophets is, of course, forgiveness. Repentance from the bottom of their hearts of turning back to God, being in a restored relationship with him once again. We read about that in Ezekiel. So check about what Paul is going to talk about. Chapter 26, Acts 26 and verse 17. This is his job that the risen Jesus gives him to talk about. Verse 17, I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles. I now send you to them to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness, that is from sin and lies and evil, to light, the truth, to goodness, and from the power of Satan to God, that by faith in me they may receive forgiveness of sins. Eyes open, turn back to God, forgiveness, restored relationship with God. It's here. The promise of forgiveness has arrived through the blood of Jesus. God no longer distant, but close. Let me ask, friends, do you have this hope? Your sin washed away. Closeness to God. The fact that you, you can be fully cleansed before the one person who really matters in this world. No shame at all. If you do have this hope, brothers and sisters, then you also have this. You have God. You have God. Relationship with the God who made you. By his spirit, he's actually given you himself already. That's our hope already. But we're also looking forward to the day when we will have that in all its completeness, aren't we? That day when we stand before him full of awe, full of joy, so filled up that we think we're probably going to explode. A glorious day. The second part of their hope I want to talk about is this. The hope of inheritance. The hope of inheritance. For the Jews, uh, they saw the land of Canaan as being their inheritance. It's this beautiful place, flowing with milk and honey. Rest, peace, prosperity. Does that sound all right? That kind of place? I like the idea of that. I like the sound of that sort of place, God's place. For the Jews, it was a very concrete idea. They had in their heads Canaan, this kind of ge geography, and we'll break it up into 12 groups for the 12 tribes. That's how it's going to work. Now, now look with me at verse 18. Chapter 26, verse 18, just how it finishes here, where we see this hope coming to us. That by faith in me, they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share, a portion, a lot among those who are sanctified, part of this inheritance. This is our great hope, brothers and sisters, that we will inherit part of this new creation, part of God's land which is put completely right, peace and rest and prosperity. Bring it on. This is our hope. We see it in such small ways currently. We, we, we see it in the church in little ways where we see relationships put right and peace happening and people seeking to live right. But it's kind of a dark shadow at the moment. It's just a silhouette. I, for one, can't wait for the day when we draw back the curtains on that world, on that new creation, where even death is no more, 
I, I wonder what you're looking forward to about it. Well, why don't you pause for a second? Just think, what, what's the one, one thing that you're looking forward to about that day? Well, let me say this. Don't trade that in for the trinkets of this world. It's not worth it. Don't, don't, don't be distracted by the puny hopes of this world. You know, that product that's going to change your life, that relationship that'll make everything okay, that job that'll make you a somebody. Brothers and sisters, don't trade in this hope. Keep looking forward to what has come and is coming. The third thing is this, the hope of the king. The hope of the king. For the Israelites, all these other hopes were never going to come until the king came and brought these hopes for them. The king who brought justice and set everything right. So every time a new king took the throne, they'd be like, I wonder, is this the guy? Is is he going to be the guy? I think we can get a bit caught up in that ourselves, can't we? Some new person comes to power and we think, Maybe they'll bring in this new era of peace or something. And we're always disappointed, aren't we? Until Donald Trump came along. Yeah, I thought Arnie was bad enough. Apparently not. But friends, this is the reason that they're accusing Paul here. Because he believes their hope has come, their king has come. He believes the king has come, the Lord Jesus, who changed his life completely. We read his biography just now. Changed his life completely. Set it right, you could say. And the Lord Jesus has broken into many of our lives and has set our lives to right, hasn't he? Or he's beginning to. It's already started. I know that's kind of not really that impressive. Wow, a few people are following Jesus as their king. But it's true, it's begun. I don't know if you noticed as we read through chapter 26, as Bell read that, who Paul is actually talking to. Did you pick it up? Who's he talking to? There's a great crowd of people. He's talking to King Agrippa, isn't he? The king of the Jews. Verse 2. I consider myself fortunate King Agrippa. Verse 7. King Agrippa, I'm being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Verse 13. King Agrippa. Verse 19. King Agrippa, I'm talking to you, buddy. And then verse 26, Paul's responding to what Festus says, and he said, the king knows about these matters. It is to him I'm actually speaking boldly. For I'm convinced that none of these things escaped his notice since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. It's like Agrippa's on trial, isn't he? Agrippa's being confronted with the Lord Jesus. Friends, this is actually the, kind of what's going on in Acts. It's a clash of kingdoms as people, kings, uh, meet the risen Jesus. So back in chapter 12, Agrippa's dad, Herod, he tried to, to stop uh, the spread of, of Jesus' followers. He, he put Peter, the main spokesman, in prison. Do you remember that? And what happened? Well, the real king, Jesus, got him out of prison. And then because Herod wouldn't, wouldn't bow and acknowledge the Lord Jesus, he was struck down and eaten by worms. Wow. And here we go. We have his son here, Agrippa, under the pump. Now he's being confronted with the risen Jesus. And Agrippa is clearly shaken. 
No, it's hard for him to kick against the goads, you could say. And I think underneath this moment is actually another king who's kind of on the fringe, just on the border of the story of Acts, and that is Caesar, the ruler of the known world. Paul is headed his way. Or should I say, the emissary of high King Jesus is headed his way. What's going to happen? We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. But the point is clear, isn't it? Jesus is the king of the world. He has come. And he is going to set up his world, his kingdom of justice in every corner of this planet. That's the hope that has come and is coming. ISIS will not win. They will not reign. Jesus will bring justice. The Kim dynasty in North Korea is not going to go on crushing their people while they live in luxury themselves. King Jesus is bringing justice. Materialism, individualism aren't things that will eternally go on. Jesus is going to set this world to right. Those in power who oppress people aren't going to go on because Jesus is king. Friends, as I've been thinking this week, just reflecting on the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus, one kind of word has been coming to my mind a little bit. Um, Idiot. (laughs) About me. Idiot. Man, you've got such an amazing hope, Dan. Such a source of comfort and strength. Why don't you think about it some more? Duh. Idiot. We have such a hope, brothers and sisters. Why do we not revel in this? Draw it to mind often. Maybe you do. Maybe it's just me. We have such a hope. It's already come. And yes, I know it it just sort of seems like a silhouette at the moment. It seems like a dark shadow. But brothers and sisters, the day is coming. It's not far off. When Jesus will take his throne for all to see. And the curtain will be drawn back. And you and I will see in full color the glorious reality of our hope. What the Lord Jesus has begun, he will complete. Do you believe it? Do you believe resurrection? Well, brothers and sisters, let's live in hope. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing a bit more about the resurrection that we believe in. Please pray with me. Father, we do want to thank you so much for the incredible hope we have because of the Lord Jesus. We thank you so much that it has begun. Oh, Father, we're so unworthy uh, to take part in such a hope, such a future, such a destiny. We don't deserve it at all, but we just praise you for your goodness, your kindness, your love, Lord God, that you've given us your king, that you've wiped away our sin, that you've given us yourself, and you've given us the hope of taking part in your new creation. Father, we thank you. May we be captivated by that hope. May we live in light of it. Now may you, the God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace as we believe, so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.